Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. Two thousand years ago, the Apostle Paul penned, for me, perhaps the most marvelous words in all of the Bible, when he said in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 21, for me, to live is Christ. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Spiritual Living. I am your host, Francois Feinberg, and it is the burden of my heart to minister to you Christian living, but from a spiritual perspective. I was 17 years old in South Africa when I met the Lord Jesus Christ myself. He filled me with his Holy Spirit and I began a life with my Lord and an exhilarating life at that. But it wasn't long before I too lapsed into the flesh, traditions and customs and carnalities and attempted to, in a way, live the Christian life, but with self-induced strength and wisdom. And it just, it fell flat. And I carried on for quite some time, uh, eking out a living with God. But I never quite was taught in those early years with the Lord that Christ actually lives inside of me. And that he lives the Christian life through me. And that I'm the vessel in partnership with him, but that he's the source and the supply. And he is the one that is rich within me. I thought that Christian living was my business. And I got to roll up my sleeves and get busy with this. And so, yeah, I got into performance and I got into keeping score. And all the while, you miss out on that enjoyment and that intimacy with the Lord, and I never cultivated a rhythm with the Lord that is a spiritual rhythm, a rhythm that is induced by God, that is divine, a rhythm that is in a way from heaven, not from man or religion or culture or custom or whatever you would have. And this is the ministry that has grown within my life over many decades now, and this is also the very foundation upon which I minister at the school called Legacy School of Discipleship, where I minister to the students who come from across America and around the world. I minister to them the riches of an indwelling Lord, and I place less emphasis on what their flesh ought to do or could do And I place a lot of emphasis on the life-giving nature, power, person of Jesus the Christ within them. And that is the ministry that I will bring to you. In every message just about, you will hear something of what God the Father is doing within you. You will probably hear a lot about what Jesus the Christ is doing within you. And you will learn about what the 
spirit is doing within you because God is the emphasis of the ministry that I bring. And I hope these messages not only encourage you, but I really hope that it trains you to have a spiritual mind versus a carnal mind, a spiritual rhythm with God where, like the Apostle Paul, you can say that in him I live and move and I have my being. I do not want to live the Christian life from the flesh, pretending to please God. I want to genuinely live it the way the apostle lived it. And those men and women of the first century, where they were filled with God, they became one in God. They began to live by God the Lord, and they lived for his heart's desire, for his will, for his purposes, and especially his interests in this earth. So may the times that you and I spend together, may it really encourage you, but may it all the more equip you and grow, mature, and bring you into wholeness in the wonderful person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I said earlier, I started in the Lord quite strong, and it was just a matter of time before I too was introduced to a lot of add-ons in addition to Jesus Christ. And spiritual living seeped out of me, and in a way I became a fleshly, carnal Christian, much like in the book of Galatians, Paul addresses the Galatians and he says, you started in the spirit. Are you now trying to be perfected through the flesh? And yeah, that just about sums me up also. I came across this writing during that stage from the 17th century. It was a book from uh, a French mystic and it had to do with the indwelling Lord and experiencing union with Christ, living by this indwelling Lord. And uh, a marvelous book, a book that just promotes intimacy, love, relationship, a rhythm with, with the Lord Jesus. I ate the book up and it really touched me. But at the end of the book, the historian who translated it from the French language into the English He wrote an article and gave his observations of our modern Christian era. And uh, this was several decades ago. And um, since I love history, I, I dived right into his article. And boy, did it trouble me. It touched me even more than the book itself did. Because in the article, this historian exposed the carnal living, if you will, the fleshly, self-induced, cultural, um, fad-oriented living of our modern Christian era. And it touched me so deeply that I re-consecrated my life to the Lord, and I basically had to come to Jesus. And I said, Lord, I started by your Spirit. Would you now, by the same Spirit that regenerated me, cause me to be a new creature, Lord, would you by that same Spirit 
live in me and through me and train me. As I read this article for you, I really hope it bothers you. I hope it stirs you. I hope it um, will have the same effect upon you that it did upon me several decades ago. And that we give our lives to the indwelling Lord. Christ who is within you is the hope of glory. Nothing else. Not the strength of my flesh is the hope of glory. Not my good works, yea, me. Christ alone within me is the hope of glory. As you listen to this article, I think um, uh, some of it is offensive. It's really hard to hear. Um, The historian did not write this in a judgmental, condemning kind of a way. He really wrote it just as a um, putting his finger on the pulse of our modernists. And as I read this for you, I hope it challenges you, but I want to ask you this question. Is he describing you? And is he provoking you to a life in spirit with your Lord? After I read this article for you, I'll give a couple of concluding thoughts. And then join me as I will minister and teach the rhythm of Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ, living by the Holy Spirit inside of those who receive Him. That's the burden, that's the calling of my heart, is to teach Christ as life, God as life, the Holy Spirit as life. So here's that article. Since the end of the first century, no century has excelled in spiritual depth. In fact, most centuries since then have been very, very shallow indeed, with only a handful of gloriously shining lights, usually no more than a few dozen men and women, to illumine the darkness. This era, the one that you and I live in, has proven to be unquestionably the most Bible-centered age since the days of the Pharisees. It also rivals their age for being one of the least in emphasizing spiritual depth. Nor is that the only record our age has set. We're setting a whole raft of records. For instance, until today, the 1500s have generally held the trophy for being the most financially corrupt age in church history. That was the day that you could, for cash, have your sins erased right out of God's ledgers. We don't do that. But with our mass mailing, business reply envelopes, four-color brochures, foundations, professional fundraising campaigns, our living-by-faith mottos, tax-exempt status, and sermons on stewardship. By the time he is 35 years old, many ministers of the gospel have become some of the best promoters and fundraisers around. 
The same can be said for intellectualism. The 1700s have usually been considered the high-water mark of intellectualism in the Christian faith. But today, more men walk the earth with doctorates in theology than in any other age. Unsatisfied with the spiritual depth this intellectual climate has produced, these men cry out that the solution is more, better, and higher Christian education. This is an age of endless reams of books and papers on endless varieties of subjects. An age that produces men who deliver mind-boggling lectures on the doctrine of prayer and yet know little of its deeper experience. This age, generally, has never known Christ in a deep way. Sophisticated, disdainful, sterile, and passionless, we have wrenched from the hand of the 1700s the trophy for the most intellectual age in church history. The era between the 1100s and the 1400s has generally been considered the darkest and most corrupt in church history an age when the papacy went to the highest bidder and the church was the most powerful political and financial force on the earth. But we live in a day when churches look like storybook castles. Servants of God today, looking back upon the first century worker's idea of owning nothing throughout his whole life, might view such an ideology as cultish. They are quite unlike their fathers, the early Christians, who were the natural enemies of their community, who fought for the privilege of living their whole lives owning nothing but the clothes on their backs, and who gloried in dying as might a pauper. Those of us who are serving the Lord full-time in this age should prepare ourselves for being remembered as a whole as being the wealthiest, most commercial, sophisticated, worldly-minded, materialistic, and comfortable men in the whole history of religion. There is one more trophy which this age above any other will win. That is, unless a radical change takes place very soon. In every era of church history, there have been recorded the names of a few devout men and women whose hallmark was awesome spiritual depth and utter devotional abandonment. There were such men even during the bleakest days the Dark Ages ever witnessed. In every age, there have always been at least a few men who knew Christ in the depths. Will our age slip by with no such testimony? From a purely historical viewpoint, we must be categorized as the most universally shallow believers ever to cross the pages of church history. 
It is my studied judgment that some future generation will deem this to be the darkest century in spiritual depth and spiritual experience in church history. That is, unless something very radical happens along soon. More corrupt than the dark days before Luther, more impotently intellectual than during the heyday of Calvinism, more financially perverted than the days that caused John the Baptist to explode, more intoxicated with the drive for spiritual power than any age, yet exercising that outward power with less internal transformation than anyone since King Saul, enamored with the gifts, yet hardly knowing the giver, our age has produced the most commercial, materialistic, fad-oriented people ever to claim the name of Jesus Christ. Is this assessment a little too harsh? I would respond to you by pointing out one last trophy this age may win. We seem to be more totally blind to the deprivation of our spiritual depth than all other centuries lumped together. It is true we have built more buildings and founded more religious organizations than all the past eras combined. It is true that today's Christianity has won more men to Christ than all other ages combined. But it is also just as true that those converts have set new records for the short length of time they have followed the Lord Jesus with abandoned devotion. If past history is any guide, we can optimistically look for some sort of turnaround. Spiritual depth is due for a return. May God see fit to so bless us in an age of such spiritual shallowness. Well, there you have it. A tough article that struck a chord with me several decades ago. If that historian was to put his finger on the pulse of your spirituality, would he say that you are in the rhythm of Almighty God, in the rhythm of the first century? Or would he also say you are in the rhythm of your culture, yourself, your flesh? I hope that as you journey with me, together we would grow to be able to say with conviction, with experience, the way the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. In Galatians he said, it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. In the book of Colossians he would say, Christ who is my life. I hope that we would grow in this life-giving Lord. And this Lord that we say saved us. I look forward to spending a lot of time with you. And I trust that as you follow with me through these messages, you and I would bear the fruit that is worthy of an indwelling Lord.